How are you? Good. Can you hear me uh, nice and clearly? Yeah, how about me? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. Cool. But yeah, man, how you been? It's been a well, little over a year since I last actually got to talk to you. Oh, has it? Well, because we always talk on Twitter, like, I have a very loose concept of time passing. <laughs> right. You know, because, like, it's, it's, social media is so weird because you, like, see tweets from someone every day. You talk to them on either Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. So you tend not to think about time the same way. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I saw them last week. And it's like, wait a minute. No, I didn't. I haven't actually seen them in a year. Um, yeah, exactly. It is weird. <laughs> I've got it's a, like modern life, man. It's it's. I, I'm still not convinced social media isn't in a uh, net negative. <laughs> you know, like I I, I don't know if I, I think 20 years from now we're gonna look at social media and be like, yeah, that was probably a bad idea. Yeah, that was part of the dark times. Yeah, that was, we didn't think through that. I know. What's a good idea? Let's hear what everybody has to think all at once. Yeah, and let's give them anonymity. <laughs> yeah, <let's... laughs> yeah, that'll be great. I mean, I had my picture up for a while, and I've become so just... I think the illusion of social media has been completely lost on me. Um, I'm immune to right, it at right. this point. And I mean, you know, when I first got on Twitter and first started the show, I mean, I'd contact you and be like, everybody on here is an idiot and I'm always angry. And you'd be like, nah, dude, you need to find Zen on here. And I did, hence the Joker avatar and no longer my picture, because it's basically like the way I view Twitter now is like, I'm just here to, you know, talk to friends, book guests for the show, and then light the world on fire and laugh because none of it matters because none of it's real. Yeah, look, people... (laughs) People are crazy out there, man. Like, you, you know, like, you when, when you're interacting with someone's social media profile, you're interacting with their avatar, right? right. So, like, it's it's not real, you know? And, and we have a tendency to compare our real life to someone else's fake life and vice versa. And it just creates this really dark cycle if you don't just keep in mind that none of this is real. Exactly. Like, haven't been around for a while now. I'm starting to realize there's like a sickness that develops in people where their online persona starts to overshadow who they really are. Oh, yeah. And it starts to define them. And it's like, look, like, Ready Player One is a really cool book and a really badass movie. But, um, you know, let's not. Yeah, well, (laughs) you know, frankly, you can make money by just screwing with people on the Internet now. I mean, it it, it can turn into a valid revenue stream. So, oh, yeah, you know, now you're just reinforcing uh, those aspects of human nature, um, you know, in kind of the worst way. It's it's sort of a mess. Um, But I, uh, I think that eventually people will start to realize, like, why is my self-esteem so low? Oh, I know, because I'm on the internet all day. All day. <laughs> nope, I put up something I thought was really funny, and nobody liked it. Does nobody like me? And you're right, like, no one likes me, <laughs> so now I have to destroy something. Right? And you're like, <laughs> let's like just, it. you know, breathe and go outside. 
Yeah, so I can feel better about something. I, what, what can I shit on today? Oh, I know. You. <laughs> right? I love when you see, like, indie creators or, like, uh, smaller movie houses, like, you know, and they're so enthusiastic. And, and if you look at my guests for the past, you'll, you'll see that I've shifted from, um, you know, like, how can I make this show as big as possible to... How many indie artists can I have on and actually help them with Kickstarters and do this and do that and help foster a community of, you know, all this, you know, like I've even changed my tone on a lot of how the show goes. And well, yeah, consistency is really important. I mean, the most important thing is you're just making, you know, you're making a show. And if you keep making shows, people, they, they listen to your show and you get a growing audience like this. uh, We're, we're, you know, a lot of us get impatient and we're sort of taught impatience because this myth of overnight success gets reinforced by internet nonsense. Yep. So one thinks like, oh, wait a minute, I need to be PewDiePie. So, oh my God, that's just what I was thinking. You know, I need to go out here. And I play I video games. Like, I think yeah, I'm I funny. Yeah, I play video games. I can be like Ninja. I'm just going to go out here and make 500 grand a month for playing Fortnite. Oh, it didn't happen the first month I did it. I'm a horrible human being. Everything is terrible. Or, or they just get angry at everybody else, like... Yeah, just rage. Don't you understand my genius and vision? And everyone's right. like, I don't even know who you are. I don't know why you're mad. It is, it's, just, it's just rage. It's just it's total, awesome. total rage. <laughs> it's awesome to watch, though, because you're just like, holy crap. And then and you're, like, tempted. You're like, I can throw a verbal hand grenade into this. Right, I can be that dude. You just know, but... to see? And I've stopped right. doing that. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, much it's nicer wild. to be known as the funny guy and not the super angry quasi political meta guy. It's been six months of completely changing and just realizing well, just like I used to happiness. be punk rock and I used to not care. Yeah, happiness is what matters, you know. Right, and, exactly. Uh, if you're not doing something that's making you happy, then you should probably stop doing it, right? Like it's it's uh you know, like professional misery. It isn't a thing that we should be fostering, really. You know, it's uh, it's pretty wild. Um, it's not, yeah, but, but I mean, even before the internet, that was the way it was. I mean, oh yeah, like, but see, it used to be, you you would just you know bother the people you could see in person, and eventually you would snap out of it because they would get tired of it, and then you'd be like, you're right, I'm being a dickhead. Now, right, it's like, oh, I can be a dickhead online, and I can build an army of dickheads. It's like, okay, maybe you can. <laughs> Maybe you can, you know, maybe that, maybe that can work, but I don't know if that's going to long run, give you, give you the peace and sanctity that you need. General Twat Waffle and his army of angry sycophants just doesn't sound like a fun day to me. No, no, it's not <laughs> like you, it, you know, like, yeah. And eventually it starts to cross that event horizon where you land on like Buzzfeed or the daily beast or something. And then like, what the hell is going on at that point? Like, you know, like now you're in a prison of your own creation. Um, and, oh, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's no good. Um, right. feel free to start recording at any time, by the way. Oh, we have been. <laughs> okay. Um, but no, like, uh, you've had quite a year though. Yeah. Uh, it's been awesome lot- to watch. It really has. I'll tell you what, it really has been cool to watch the things in your bio expand and how cool the new additions are. Well, thank you, man. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, I tell people all the time that you you start off getting no work at all, yep. um, and then you start 
getting some work and you're underpaid. Uh, and then there's a short period where you're paid for the work that you, you should, you know, you're doing and it makes sense. And then you're overpaid. Right. So like it, it, you know, there's ladders that you go through and, and it's easy to, to look at someone that you haven't heard of, you know, like, oh, I haven't heard of Brian Hill. I don't know what he's doing. Oh, wait a minute. Now he's writing some detective comics thing. And now he's working on the Titans television show. Like this guy just showed up. And it's like, no, no, that's never how it works. Like, you you know, a person can become aware of something uh, quickly, and it looks like suddenly someone's, like, you know, broken onto the scene. But, you know, it's always a grind. You know, you're, there's always a grind somewhere behind it. And now I'm at the period in your career where people have started to pay attention to your work, and, you know, you've gotten a couple opportunities that make people more comfortable hiring you for other things. Uh, and then you start getting into the incoming call business. And that's just the normal physics of how this goes down. Yeah, but I mean, you know, and and like I said, I mean, you and I have been talking over a year. I know we haven't done a podcast in over a year, but we've been talking regularly. And, you know, watching the way you interact with people and, you know, the, the things that you say and, and the time you take for people and stuff, it's, uh, you know, it's definitely deserved. I think, you know, there there's people who who can break in, who you know, um, you probably don't want to spend five minutes in a room with. As a human being, they just get to do all the cool things you want to do. But right. once in a while, you know, there's somebody who loves the stuff that you love and is a decent enough human being to deserve it. And I think you and a couple of my other guests have definitely been those people where you're like, yeah, they... They deserve to be able to to bring us stuff that we love, that they love, and they're also a good person, so they deserve whatever comes with it, kind of thing. So it's like it's like a rarity, and I and I know people are probably rolling their eyes and they're like, "Oh, he's blowing smoke up this guy's rear end." But I mean, how many verbal ledges did you talk me down on Twitter when I first really started doing this, where I would come to you and be like, "Dude." I want to burn everybody to the ground. And you'd be like, nah, just take a second. So it, it's been really cool to see, like, happens the easy way to put it. Like, one of the good ones have good stuff happen to them over the course of this year. It's been really cool. And all your coolest stuff you can't really talk about, which drives me nuts. Because, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Well, I mean, because I'm in the middle of it. Like, right, uh, like, get, as a lifelong real Teen Titans fan... It's like, oh, my God. And then you're like, yeah, dude, that junk's on lock. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's well, when you're working on any of these comic book uh, adaptations, you know, you're you're in the Pentagon, basically. Right. And it's just a series of nesting dolls of of confidentiality, you know. Right. And so you you have to be incredibly careful all the time because, look, everything, you know, everything's a potential million dollar problem. And I totally understand that. I do, you know, I just kind of like, okay, I get it. I, I, you know, I won't, I won't say anything about it, you know? Um, but with, you know, in regards to like talking to people online and all that, I mean, look, the reason I have social media is, uh, to talk to readers and fans and, and other writers and other creators that are kind of looking, you know, they just want to connect with people that are also creative and build that positive energy. Like I, I remember when I got to meet people that read, that wrote stuff that I read and liked, and I've had good experiences and bad experiences. You know, um, and I remember what the bad experiences felt like. It was like a real bummer uh, because you're a big fan of somebody's work or at least enough of a fan to want to go like kind of 
chat with them in person or see them, get them to sign something or, you know, reach out to them on a message board. This is back in the message board days. And when someone's rude or argumentative, um, surly, it's just a bummer. And if a creator whose work you like spends more time complaining about what's wrong in their life, it makes me less interested to experience the work, you know? Like, I... I, I want to believe that the people who create the stuff that I like are living lives of mostly joy, right? <laughs> like, Most like, definitely, right! I'd like to believe that, you know? And, and, um, and I, you know, I am generally, like, a happy person. Like, I, you know, I have a lot of, uh, lot of reasons to be grateful. And so it's, it's just important to me to not ruin someone's experience because I stubbed my toe an hour ago, fired up my phone, and decided I had to make war with somebody, you know, like that's, I just don't think that's cool. It's, it's, um, and look, people can be rude. I get that. And I get a little rudeness every now and then, but not too much. Um, but you just, you can ignore the rudeness. You don't have to engage everyone who tries to poke you with the stick. You know, like my grandmother always said, you can't control how someone feels about you, but you can control how that makes you feel. And if that's not a lesson that needs to be taught today, Right? On I a just, much broader scale. <laughs> you know, like if someone can irritate you because of a tweet, then you're just giving them way too much power in your life. You know, like, and, and there's just no reason to share that kind of power with somebody who you don't know, um, who's just kind of poking at you to get a reaction. I just try, just try to steer clear of, um, you know, of all of that. And comics has gotten a little tribal as of late. Um, and the conversations have gotten pretty dark around comics yeah i hadn't noticed (laughs) and that's talking to like artists like big artists and then indie artists like the disparities in in their viewpoints on the comic industry are like wow well yeah i mean the industry is really like a bunch of little things all kind of batched together and called an industry you know it's not um it's it's not like this behemoth that's in perfect synchronicity kind of moving in a direction but I don't understand how I could be grumpy, surly, full of self-pity, full of self-doubt, angry about it, bitter, and then I'm going to go write Bruce Wayne. Like, how, <laughs> how does that work, right? Like, how it do you doesn't. reconcile that? You know, like, um, I, I, I strongly believe that if you get the opportunity to write characters, especially like heroic characters that matter to people that are supposed to be paragons of some kind of virtue, Right. Complicated virtue, you know, but but virtue virtue, nonetheless, virtue nonetheless, then you should consider living your life according to the principles that you're writing in your narrative. You know, I mean, that's kind of the responsibility of it. You know, the the social cachet that you get from working on Superman or Luke Skywalker or whatever it is. Well, you pay that back by exemplifying some of that behavior in your life. You know, I mean, that's just, I think that's part of the gig. And if you don't want the responsibility of doing that, maybe you're in the wrong business. You know, maybe, maybe you shouldn't, you know, mess about with characters like that. But, or go write Sin City or something. Right. Take it out on, you know, take it, have a work that says, hey, you know what, this is what I'm about. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, here to, to comfort, you know, I'm not here to, to, you know, preach you know, the, the virtue of the thing. I'm not here to really discuss heroism in those terms. Then it's fine. It's fine. But it really bums me out when people who create superheroes 
um, or even fans of superheroes, this leave all the ethics of those characters out of their daily lives. Right. Most definitely. I'll share a little story with you, right? So yeah. years ago, when um, I was uh, I was in on location in Bulgaria when that Dolph Lundgren movie I wrote got shot. It was called The Russian Specialist. And uh, I think it was called The Mechanic at the time, but it became The Russian Specialist. So Yeah, we talked, yeah. I remember We that. shot in, in and around Bulgaria um, because that's where the production facilities of that studio on uh, New Image, that's where they have their like huge like studios and everything out there because the dollar, you know, the Western dollar travels so far, you know, in, in a place like Bulgaria. Um, so we were shooting this little Western action sequence and, and they had to go location scout to find a place to do it. And there was a Romani village that was a little bit outside of Sofia. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was not that far away. But, you know, it kind of felt like traveling into the past, honestly. Because when, you, when you're in Bulgaria and you leave Sofia, you sort of leave the present and you go into the past. Because all around the country are like farms and Romani, you know, kind of, uh, um, you know, sort of like living spaces and, and all of that. And it was really interesting. And I remember... We're scouting this location. I'm walking around, and there's this. Essentially, it was a barn, man. It, it, it was a little bit more than that, but not much more. Right. And there was a Romani family that was living there, and um, they were they were happy. You know, they had a simple simple existence, and they were happy with it. I didn't feel sorry for them in any way. Uh, but I I can't speak, you know, uh, you know Romani, whatever whatever they spoke. I you know I can't make heads or tails of the language. But I was walking around, and the kids started following me. There was like two or three kids. And they started following me. I'm like, well, this is kind of funny. And uh, uh, they, they pointed at me. Um, and and I'm, I'm looking at them point at me. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe they haven't seen a black guy before. You know, so maybe that's cool. Like, I'll be the first black guy that I've ever met. Like, that's fine. <laughs> right. um, and then the boy said Superman in this, like, real strong accent. But he said Superman. And I looked down, and I remembered I was wearing a Superman T-shirt. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. And they didn't know me. They may have never met an American, certainly a black American before, but they were happy, and they trusted me because I was wearing a Superman T-shirt, and they knew that Superman meant good person. Right? And and that moment, like, it, it really taught me what these kinds of characters and these stories can mean for people. Because when you get that instant trust from a child, because right. you look like, I don't know what they saw. I mean, I, you know, comic book, you know, Christopher Reeve, I have no idea how they encountered Superman, but they knew who Superman was. And, and, they, was and at that time, I think uh, George W. Bush was president. They probably didn't know who he was, right? <laughs> right. Like, you know, the, the president of the United States, uh, they probably had never seen him before. They didn't know what he was. But they understood what Superman was, and that you know showed me how um, impactful these things are for people, uh, and the kind of the kind of you know uh, uh, the invitation, the intimate invitation you get in people's lives when you when you work on these sorts of things. Um, so I do keep that in mind, you know, as I as I that move forward. That is awesome. And, like the common the the commonality of totally. something that's inherently good that totally. that doesn't need language you know physical uh, verbal language to communicate just the you know yeah like you said the instant trust of a child because that symbol on his shirt is inherently good so he must be good 
He must be good. You There's know? a beauty and, in that. That yeah, yeah, and you and you don't you don't want to ruin that. You know, you want to preserve that because innocence is something we all, we're all born with, and then at some point we lose it. Now, unfortunately, for a lot of kids in the world, they lose it really early. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in other places in the world where there are more resources and things are a bit more comfortable, they can hold on to it for a little more. But you know you're going to lose it at some point. So I try I try to make sure I'm not the reason why any child's going to lose it. You know, like, I'm not going to be the one to tell you that Superman's not a real person. You know, that, that, uh, that the symbol is just a symbol or whatever it is. Um, or anything like that, you know. And so I, even when I'm writing stories, a lot of my stories are kind of mature. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty intense guy, so my storytelling is pretty intense. I, I'm right. not sure a lot of children should be reading a lot of the work that I do, but I still, um, I still keep that in mind. I mean, it's the same thing that happens if someone who, you know, they're working a job, they don't want to work, they're in a small town somewhere, or just a small city somewhere, and they want to be a writer or a filmmaker or whatever it is, and they reach out to somebody who's got a blue check mark on Twitter. Because they've heard the blue check mark means something, and so they they drop you a question, you know, um, you have an opportunity either to help them on their path by providing something positive, or you can just make their day harder by providing something negative. And I never want to be the person that provides something negative. Because that, yeah. Because the negative seems to go a little deeper and last longer. Yeah, you remember Sadly, those. I still, j- just oh, based yeah. on human nature. I mean. You can give somebody a great day, and it may make their day for that day, and they may never think of you again. But if you, oh, yeah, like you I, know. I remember, I used to intern for a, a woman named Emily Gerson Sames, mm-hmm. and I think she's an Emmy award-winning producer at this point. I think she won an Emmy for Temple Grandin, that um, wow. Claire, that Claire Danes thing. I used to intern for her, and she read some of my writing and told me to my face that I had no talent, that I should quit, and that I was wasting my time. She um, seems nice. And I, you know, now because I have the personality I have, I was just like, oh, well, she's wrong. You know, I'm going to keep going. Um, but I never forgot the moment she told me that. Right. Right. And, and I, and the, I think about that a lot because as I do more work and I get into a position where someone's showing me their work, you know, they're, hey, what's this? Or, you know, could, so, could something happen with this? So on and so forth. And I, and I think to myself, I would never say that to a person. One, because you don't know, right? Here's the, and the thing is, Jason, you don't know what someone's future is. You no, know, every, you don't. Everybody does bad things until they do a good thing. You can write, you know, ten terrible songs in a row, and then the 11th song is Hound Dog, and now you're Elvis. So, like, <laughs> right? you know, like, you, you never, you never want to tell somebody that they can't do something. Um because you're probably going to have to eat that crow at some point uh, with someone. But even if you think that's true, the idea that you would just do that to like, a young person who's clearly young and is going to learn and is going to keep working. Ugh. So, um, yeah, going through experiences like that, sometimes you need a bad experience to teach you how not to be. And so that's a lot of, uh, um, you know, a lot of what I use is I just think about like the way that people were that bothered me when I was uh, starting out. And deciding, nah, I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to be like the other guy. Right. So, I mean, like, for me, um, you know, I actually landed uh, writing a short story for a magazine that's supposed to come out in Halloween. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. And it's the first time that 
I've actually said okay to something like that. Um, you know, I mean, I write all the time, but I've never really had the uh, the chutzpah to, to try to put to to put it out. And you know, I sent a first draft off, and it was an awesome conversation for somebody who's actually a published writer who's you know actually have has books out and doing this and doing that. And it was it was good to hear you know, that feedback and having never been a writer and it being something just because we know each other on Twitter and, and they were like, well, I have this project coming up. A friend and I just bought our taking over magazine and the first half of it is going to be for Halloween issue is going to be known writers and the second half is going to be either unknowns or first time writers. And, you know, like, so to just extend that olive branch without me even asking what was really cool. And then for them to, to have the patience to not just be like, yeah, we totally made a mistake. Uh, you're a little green. You obviously don't know what the heck you're doing. That, that, that would have been, I mean, hard, hard to swallow, but I think at my age, you know, being 37 now, it would be something where it would be easier to shrug it off, but I couldn't imagine being 18 or 19 and being told something like that. And here's a, a little harsher example um that is it instilled in me the drive to be successful um mm -hmm. no matter what was in my teens i decided that self-destruction was a good idea um, <laughs> just in general across the board just <laughs> in general like here's a hand grenade <laughs> sure. i know it's going to blow up but i'm pulling the pin out i'm just going to hold it instead of throwing it at someone else Right, right. And it landed me, um, you know, school skipping and getting in fights and fist fights and doing all this stuff. It landed me in the juvenile court system. And I think over the course of my four years of high school, I was incarcerated five times. Um, once for almost oh, wow. a year. I don't even remember having a junior year in high school. Um, but uh, I'll never forget his name. It's, um, his name was Judge, Judge Lawton, and he's retired now. But, you know, it's when you're 16 years old and you're confused and mad and doing all this stuff and a judge, tell, you know, looks you in the eye and tells you you're either going to be dead by 21 or in jail for life by the time you're 21. You're never going to be anything. You know, j just this long, drawn out, mm -hmm. you know, condemnation on a 16 year old kid who, yeah, I mean, you know, I've raised I've raised one teenager who's now 20. And I'm getting ready to raise another. Teenagers are a-holes. I get it. I mean, they are. I remember being one, and I just, you know, went through it with with my stepdaughter, you know, of watching her become this awesome kid turn into an a-hole for a couple of years, and then, you know, emerge from her chrysalis as a promising, extremely intelligent adult. You know, but to, to look at a kid and be like, you know, you're never going to be anything. If anything, you're going to be dead or in jail. And it kind of you know, instead of crushing me, it almost infused me with a sort of steel um, in defiance of I will always spend my life proving him wrong. You know, e e even if he never sees it, and he won't. I don't even live in Massachusetts now. I haven't been in Massachusetts since I was 17. I've spent more time away from my hometown than I did living in it. And he'll never know, but I'll, but I'll know. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, you know, it's... Um... Redemption, uh, personal transformation, reinvention, these are things that I continually wrestle with in my work. You know, it's part of the thematics, uh, like kind of like the, 
the bucket of thematics that I often deal with, it's certainly in there because I think it's an important message, uh, especially now. Like we were talking about social media before, I think one of the darkest aspects of social media is it keeps the past alive mm-hmm. way beyond its shelf life. And, you know, I, I've done a lot of things that I'm not proud of. You know, I've behaved in ways that I certainly would not recommend. But I, because I didn't grow up with, you know, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, those things fade into memory. They go away, right? Yeah, you know, you don't have to relive them constantly. And now we've created a world where the worst thing that you ever said can just get thrown back in your face five, six years later. And uh, with no context, no, no sense of how you were feeling that day, what was going on in your life, you know, you've just got this tweet or this post and, and then people reach back. And then we also, I think because we are all aware that we're vulnerable in the same way that we can all fall victim to this. The moment we have a target, we direct all this energy towards the target because that keeps the energy from being directed at us, you know, and if I can draw a circle around someone and label them as wrong or, you know, you're not the righteous, you know, you, you're, you're a poison because of this thing, this evidence that I have, then for that time, no one's looking at me, you know, no one's questioning me. And it reinforces, uh, uh, you know, pretty grim aspects of socialization, really. And well, yeah, I mean, I, how is anybody ever expected to grow when you could just condemn them back into what they were? You know, I mean, look at how our opinions change on things as we get older. You know, if you were presented with a situation at 16, your opinion of it is going to be extremely different than if it was presented to you now. You know, you'd probably be much more even tempered in dealing with it and looking for a much more uh, bigger picture solution to something. But if somebody constantly reminded you of, you know, what what a crap head you were. At 16, it's hard to move past that. And yeah, you're right. I see that. I see that a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, the, when we test our boundaries, when we start, um, you know, engaging with ideas and concepts, we start forming our sense of who we're going to be in the world. We start thinking about ourselves as adults, as men and women and not boys and girls. And there's a lot of testing that goes on in that period. And during that testing, people can do and say very hurtful, harmful things. This is true. Mm-hmm. But if we if we never let someone escape the gravitational pull of a mistake, then we're, we're creating this polemic world. We're creating a world of good and bad, full stop. You know? And right. gro- growing up in a place like Missouri, for instance, there are people who have been extraordinarily generous to me personally whom I have heard say things that most people would define as pretty racist, right? Right. And I know yeah. that's, a, yeah. that's that dichotomy, you know? And it doesn't mean that I, I have to excuse what is said, but I also can't full stop judge somebody by the worst thing that they've done because despite whatever general opinion they may have, they have been kind to me, so I know their kindness is possible. So instead of, like, looking at that person and saying well, that's a horrible person. You should be condemned, you know, no matter what. Instead, I say, what is it that's different about my interaction with them that broke that prejudice? And how can I help 
extend that difference to other people like me that they may have never met, right? Like, how can I, how can I make the world easier for the next person who looks like me that will talk to this person? Because, because ultimately that's like what matters, right? It's like you're you're trying to make the world easier for somebody else, you know. And if we just kind of like circle up and make a make a uh, you know social phalanx around ourselves, and then just start um, you know stringing people uh, you know up proverbially, um, you know for things, then I don't know where that goes. I I don't know where it stops. And there are genuine issues in the world. I mean, there are genuine injustices that need to get addressed. There are problems in this world, you know. I'm not sitting here saying that, like, well, everything is fine and anyone who complains about any aspect of social justice is wrong. I'm not right. saying that. But we, we have to make sure that we're not, we're not fighting battles to fight battles. We're fighting battles to find solutions. And if we're not moving towards a solution, all we're doing is enhancing the conflict. And that's not, not very good. Um, so in the work that I try to do, uh, I try to balance my work. I try to um, engage these ideas in ways that have a thesis, that have some, some philosophical direction, but also aren't preachy, and I don't want to browbeat people. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's the line that I think, you know, works best for me. And something like Postal, 25 issues of that, it's a lot about the varying morality that we have and yeah. the shifting idea of good and evil and, you know, and justifying the means and the strange alliances that people make when they're in a crisis. Um, uh, and, you know, that that's a book, a story uh, that's really built on this idea of we need to consider good and evil in these philosophical terms and and not just use it as a way to make ourselves better than somebody else. Yeah, and you know, I think that that seems to be the end goal of a lot of all these different causes. And I mean, I no longer even say left or right anymore when talking like that, because they both decided to adopt each other's policies, and now they're just two giant, you know, echo-chambered noises well, that just scream into a void all day long. And people get so wrapped up in it, and, you know, like watching, you know... um this uh the strike on syria for example if we're going to put it in a real world factor mm. watching you know being able to completely dismiss what the left is saying because it's what they would say no matter what you know and and, and i'm not minimizing them it's just i know what their argument is for our military to do anything 99 percent of the time and that's not a condemnation on them i just know which direction they're going to go with it right for, what's interesting for me is watching, you know, what's supposed to be the other side, the rational side or whatever, you know, with their freaking MAGA hats. Um, it, I'm sure some of my listeners will get mad, but you know what? I don't care. Um, watching the right completely eviscerate itself over this, um, you know, like terms getting thrown like, oh, neocon Don needs to go back to campaign Trump. And, and, and it's just... You're well, watching, yeah, you're watching yeah, these people rip each other apart, and you're like, no, you don't understand. Like, the world is a geopolitical mess, and it's regardless of party. Our own country has so many issues, but why is it so much more fun to A, yell at the other side, and then B, turn around and yell at the same side because they're not completely lock-stepping with you? Stop calling people Orwellian if you're going to act the same way. Like, it, it's just been interesting 
to well, watch this weekend. Because you know? there's an economy based on tribalism. It, yeah, you but know, it's, people, it's really people, detrimental. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. People are making a lot of money by making everyone tribal. Right? They are. By, by, by not, not accepting the reality, which is, you know, in, in America's case, America is a very large country where a lot of people think differently than a lot of other people. And in, in the most generic of ways, we're split kind of down the middle. Right. And that's just where we are as a nation, which is potentially a good thing if that means we have real dialectic, right? We have real conversations and we can find common sense compromises between the two sides. See, and that's but, the danger I see is the, the exchange of free ideas has been almost completely destroyed. And well, that's, that's far more dangerous than one side dominating the other completely in any well, facet. Well, when you, when, when, look, I, I am no fan of uh, President Trump. Neither however, am I. <laughs> how, how, you know, however, like, there's, if, if every day people are going to make everything that he does, you know, the worst thing that anyone has ever done, we're going to lose sight of the truly dangerous things he may do. Because it's just going to sound like we're just finding things to nitpick and we're just kind of keeping our narrative going. And that's not positive. Right. I mean, the fact of the matter is we didn't, have... This, didn't that just happen for eight years beforehand? Yeah, well, that's... We had another guy in office who the other side, the, the dude couldn't move. I haven't been a fan of any president, I think, in my entire adult life. Um, I don't really trust any of them. I don't have a party. I'm not subscribed to a party. But, you know, I mean, like, it, it's crazy to watch one side do something for eight years and then scream foul when the other side does it. And I see a lot of that on both sides. It's like... It's, it's because, you know... If everybody when keeps poking each other in the eye, somebody's going to fall off a cliff because nobody can see anymore. When you trust <laughs> the nature of the person in power, you don't question the use of that power. Right. Exactly. So, so, you know, so when, you know, people on the left, and I'm center left myself you know when when we say well we trust barack obama we trust that he's not a bad person so we trust that these executive orders aren't coming from a person who's going to abuse and use the stuff to harm people right um and then we look at a person who who has a, a different point of view um and we say well i don't trust this person i think this person's inherently evil so now, everything that that person does, I have to judge through that prism. And no one is either inherently good or inherently evil. Now, look, if I had to have a beer with somebody, I'd have a beer with Obama 20 times out of 20 over, over Trump. Um, so yeah. I the conversation would be. I'd have a better conversation because Obama reads a book every now and then. But, you know, like... I mean, the other guy writes books, right? Someone did. <laughs> um, but, like, you know, also, it's it's... We have such fatalist rhetoric now, right? Oh my like, God, no kidding. You, you hear people say, well, this is the worst time, you know, uh, for America ever. And it's like, well, no, that's objectively not true. Like, in 2018, you can't say that race relations are at an all-time low because we don't have slavery and we don't have routine assassinations of civil rights leaders. Yeah, exactly. We don't have you know, Japanese the Jim Crow era camps. is gone. People aren't right, getting like, hung from light yeah, poles. Like, yeah. The, the Japanese internment camps aren't with us anymore. I can go to a grocery store. I can drink out of a drinking fountain. You know, I can I can walk through the front door of a hotel. 
So it's it's objectively you can not write Batman. I can write Batman. It's you not know, I mean, the yeah, worst I mean, time. yeah. And if you say, but see, the, the, and what happens is people who hear this stuff, especially younger people who don't have that longer view of history, you know, they see it and they internalize that, and they hear that. They're like, oh, it is. This yeah. is the worst time. This is this is the worst time. I'm living in the worst time, and because they don't know what, anything different. And what happens is that takes your power away because you're being told in a way from both sides that you have no power, right? You know, either either you're getting uh, a message from from a network that says, "Hey, you know, these are all the things that are coming to get you. They're all coming to get you. Everything's trying to destroy your way of life." And only, only us, only we can protect you from the whatever, right? That's one message. And on the other side, you get those people there are trying to destroy everything, and only we can protect you from them. And then the, the result is the individual... CNN and Fox News? Yeah, like the individual... Sorry, that was no matter, my sarcastic answer. I couldn't help it. No matter where, what side they stand on, they're getting the same message from everyone, which is you have no power. Right. You are powerless, right? Whether you're left or you're right... That's the message you're getting. Everything is a crisis. Everything is coming to get you. Everything hates you. Everything wants to destroy you. And then you take that tribal mentality into your daily life. Because instead of looking at someone and saying, okay, you have a different idea about taxation than I do. Instead it becomes, well, you want to destroy me. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, right? It's like, you have well, a gun aimed not... at my head. It's no, not really the case, you know, like, like, and, and so, yeah, so, um, I think it's, it, it's going to have to come from, from the bottom up, right? It's going to have to come from people. We as people around the world, you know, are going to have to decide to not be led by these, uh, oligarchical small institutions that make millions of dollars off of making sure we all hate each other. And exactly. and we, I, we're going I, to have to decide to That's to what not I've been saying a lot in the middle of political conversations. I'm like, guys, stop yelling at each other. At some point, we completely forgot what we the people was supposed to mean. You know, yeah, there, we there's a reason why the guy gets to run around and do all the crazy shit he's doing. And it's because we forgot that we have the power to tell him to stop. You, you, you know, know? Like it's 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 um like listening yeah. to Republicans, you know, complain now. Well, we have the House and the Senate, but we're not getting anything done. And it's because it, the party doesn't matter in D.C. either. They don't want to get anything done. It, yeah, okay? it's because no they one vote themselves their own raises. Done. They've never had your best interest at heart, no matter what party. They are literally an agency that never has to pay for anything and can vote themselves raises. They don't care about you. Well, no matter like, what yeah, letter is next to that name. They have the House and the Senate. So why would they want to change anything? <laughs> exactly. Like, that's that's the thing. Like the you know it's. And then when the other um, party controls everything, they're still complaining because they're not getting what they want. And and it's it, you just want to be like because it was the beautiful idea of what was supposed to be where we live is about you doing it for you. And unfortunately, we've let government grow so much that it's hard to do something for yourself without going to them for everything. You know, like, even if you're not on government assistance, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, like, I mean, somebody said something really clever once, and it wasn't it wasn't on the Internet. It was, uh, you know, an uncle, I think, somewhere said something that, um, you know, you need a license for everything. 
And he said, do you know what a license is? And I said, well, yeah, you get one to drive your car. He said, no, your license is a right sold back to you by the government that hijacked it. Well, it's the And same. I was like, holy crap. Like, <laughs> you know? Like, and it's yeah, kind of true. We just have to re-examine and actively consider our relationship to the world around us. And, we really do. Um, and think about... You know, because I, I mean, maybe I'm naive, but I, I genuinely believe that most people, uh, they're not inherently good, but most people, given an opportunity where they felt safe, would choose goodness over evil. And that most most of the evils, you know, perpetrated are usually due to someone not feeling safe in some way. Right. I can agree with that. And and we have to look at. Why do we not feel safe? And of those feelings, which are legitimate, which can we actually attribute to a specific cause? And then which are just the product of being oversaturated with alarmist opinion? And I, and I think that's the, that's the real problem, is with a 24-hour news cycle that needs a crisis to justify itself, you never turn on the television again, no matter which, which side you're from, and get a message where, you know what? Things are okay today. Things are never okay. Things are always awful. Uh, there's always, you know, an existential problem happening. Yep. And it, in, a, in, a, in a kind of insidious background way, it keeps all of us in this weird fight-or-flight state, you know, where we're, we're a little too adrenalized and, and we're a little too focused on self-preservation because we're we're taught that there are a lot of things that are threatening us all the time. And we've actually and most banned people, it from the house. Yeah. Well, most people are spending, you know, mo- what's well, a good thing. You know, like life, a lot of life is figuring out a way to overcome fear. Right. And, and, and that's, again, another thing that I talk, we talk about my stories a lot. So I'm such a fan of Batman because Batman is a, is a myth about how one overcomes fear and how you can face your own fear integrate that, overcome that, and then by mastering it, or attempting to master it, because I choose to believe that Bruce Wayne's never really done. He's always working towards himself. Um, he can't can, be done. Right. You can, like, gain, you, you can gain some ability to make circumstances better for others. You know, to, to be more than, than the, the boy, you know, in the alleyway holding his parents' hands. To be more than the child afraid of the bats swirling around him. Right. Um, I mean, but, but and, I mean, that's his mantra, that no child would ever go through what I went through again. Yeah, you know, that, you know, that, that's the, like one of his one of his pillars. I don't know if you want to put it that way, but but that's one of his pillars is what I went through. I will bash myself against a never moving cliff every night, so that, yeah, and that's so that somebody doesn't go through what I went through. You know, stories stories were something that Which we needed to explain. Tragic. We had to explain winter. We had to explain night. <laughs> right. Right. Like we were, we were terrified. We were, we were a species. We were dealing. The sun would go away, and it would get cold, and it would get dark, and we could make fire. And around that fire would be a precious amount of light. But we knew that in that darkness were things, many things that would growl and howl and stalk, and they could kill us because they have killed some of us, you know, before. And we needed stories to help us deal with night to help us deal with winter to help us deal with death right, right. we needed mythology to help us figure out how to reconcile 
with our fear of our own destruction. That was the purpose of it. Um, and that purpose still endures today. You know, like I still remember, you know, Optimus Prime and freedom is the right of all sentient beings. One of my, you know, and yeah, one of my favorite sentences ever. Kind of thinking about that and what, and what that means, you know, like, um, you know, I, like it's, that's, it's, it's critically important. And so I, uh, I, again, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't tell people how to think, think however you want to think, you know, um, like I happen to be fairly liberal, um, I would imagine for, for most people, but I'm also always willing to listen to someone else's perspective if it's offered in, in a non rude way, you know, um, and, uh, and, and engage it. And I've changed my mind about a few things here and there. You know, I mean, my core set of beliefs probably hasn't changed very much, but certainly how I would apply those beliefs has changed. Um, you know, trying to understand someone else's perspective and not just demonize it. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's like the nature of, like, you know, what I do. And Well, um, I mean, it's the ability to hold on to your convictions but still be willing to listen. Yeah, 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 if you stop listening, you stop It's listening. valuable. You don't have to give up ground. On, on something that that in your heart you know that's what you believe to be right um you know and, unless it's something that can cause somebody else harm but you right. know what i mean but, but but like an actual conviction of a value it's it, it is okay to engage in a conversation with somebody who may not precisely believe in in what you're convicted about but it's more than okay to listen and maybe even, you know, it, it's, it may be a conviction you can still hold after, but there are facets to it that maybe you didn't think about before. You know, yeah, and I, I think so. that's I mean, what's been lost a lot, too, in, in the public square of conversation. I, just, I like learning. And I, do too. I don't I don't learn very much in an echo chamber. So I uh, I like Isn't to that get like the opposite of its intention? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I like to learn. So. You know, like I've, I've got friends of mine that are like staunch conservatives and many times have been like, well, ex- explain to me what, uh, explain it to me. Like, give me some of the principles, like show me how to understand, show me how to see this situation your way. Yeah. And then they've gone into it and I'm like, okay, I can't understand how you came to that conclusion. I have a different one, but I understand a bit more. And if there's going to be a point of compromise, I know where to build it. Um, right. And we I mean we gotta like like Kennedy said, man, we, we all gotta live on the same planet, so we gotta figure out a way to do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? Like for now, the, the day, Elon Musk hasn't Elon Musk got hasn't given out. us an out yet with a colony somewhere. Yeah, you know? you know, like this is all we got, you know. So we're gonna have to figure it out because <laughs> like, there's no other place for us to go. So we're gonna have to make this work for us. Yeah, I mean. Like I said, I've gotten a lot more, you know, even-tempered over the past year or so. And I wasn't a diehard anything. I just had to learn to not get so wrapped up in the opinions or the retorts or the insults of somebody that I'm never going to see eye-to-eye. Because if we, you know, like face-to-face in real life, because I guarantee you, if you were talking to somebody face-to-face unless they were literally just a garbage human, which there's way less of them than I think the perception gives itself to over to be believed, is that they would never say that to your face. There's a safety behind tapping on glass. Um, 
You know, well, and, yeah, for and, sure. And, and and the reason I love mythological stories so much is I love what happens to human nature when it encounters actual evil. Right. And by by that I mean, you know, we when we encounter actual, you know, verifiable villainy, when we know for a fact that what we're opposing seeks to destroy us unilaterally, it seeks to spare no one from its madness. We have to figure out a way to dig deep into our own personal resources and form strong bonds with other people. And sometimes those bonds are formed with people who don't agree with you, but you can agree on the one thing that Sauron can't win, right? That you can agree on. Right. You can agree on that Palpatine should not be the emperor of the galaxy. We can agree there. The Joker cannot go free. We can agree on that. And it's it's why I'm always talking to people about the importance of villainy in the story. And stories have to have strong villains because the strong villain puts puts it all in context. You know, the strong villain really makes the protagonist and the reader consider what matters to them, what is precious to them. Uh, and that's the liberating part of mythology. And that's why it endures and it stays with us. And we return to it when we need it. You know, we need to remember how Odysseus found his way back home. We had to remember how Achilles stopped that war. You know, we had to remember these things um, so that when we face these, you know, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune in our own lives, we can access these stories and, and kind of figure our own way through. Uh, it's, it's, you know, that's the reason why I like writing comics so much, because comics deals with evil a lot. And, you know, in, in screenwriting, you can do that a little bit. I mean, Ash vs. Evil Dead, you know, I, I worked on that, and that's, it's funny, and it's it's a hoot of a time to watch, but at the mm-hmm. end of it, we're still talking about evil, and and how that you know it's a, it's a story about a flawed hero. I was gonna say yeah, it's just an unconventional hero, but he's still facing an ultimate. He's still evil. facing evil, you know. It's it's a flawed hero. He's got a lot of problems. Wears them on his sleeve, both sleeves, but uh, at the end of the day, he's gonna protect you from the demon, sort of, <laughs> sort <laughs> the of. best way he can, right? right? But like that, but that that's um. That's inspiring to me. I mean, that's the that's the reason why I get up in the morning is to engage in that kind of storytelling and um, hopefully, you know, give back the gift that stories gave me when I was growing up. Most definitely. So speaking of writing stories, how did the how, how did the detective comics thing come about or how much of that can you speak to? You know, I'm not going to ask you for, for what your story arcs are, but I mean, dude, you're getting to write Batman. That's insanely awesome. Well, that honestly was, that's a fairy tale. It, it literally started <laughs> with an email from uh, Chris Conroy, an editor over at DC. It was like, hey, would you be interested in writing Detective Comics? You know, and you're like, well, yeah. So you didn't you know, email him. I'll think about it. <laughs> no, that play hard to get. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, nah, no, I didn't that. do that. Yeah, that I was didn't... an entirely sarcasm-dripped question. Like, yeah, nah. I'll I mean, think if, about I was a, that. if I was a billionaire, maybe, because like I, you know, I'm a billionaire. But since I'm not a billionaire now, I was like, nah, I'm good. But it's yeah, I, I think honestly, it had a lot to do with um, me uh, kind of meeting folks over at DC through Michael Cray, and um, and working on that book with Marie Javins. She's editing that book uh, with Rob Levin, doing assistant editing duties, and you know, kind of toiling there and, and doing that work. And that series is still going on. I mean, folks listening can go ahead and pick up Michael Gray. I think the first, I don't know if the first trade's out, but 
uh, we are we are about to uh, I think put out issue seven, and it's a twelve issue arc, so you can jump in on that. And and I think because that series the the concept is it's in the Wildstorm universe, so it's not in the DCU, like the main DCU. It's in the kind right. of alt reality. And Kraza is a guy who most people would know him as Deathblow. Um, that's who he was uh, before. I mean, it's his alter identity. But, you know, Warren wanted to approach that character in a different way and pit that character against corrupt versions of DC heroes. And for a lot of people, that was the first time they'd seen me write like a superhero, even if I was writing one as a villain. You know, because it's, it's, it's easy for people, Jason, to think like, okay, well, we've heard you're a good writer. You've written all of this indie crime book, Postal. You know, right. Postal, for, for those listening, Postal is, a, is an indie crime uh, image book that I, I've been writing for a while, uh, 25 issues on that. And people liked the writing in that book, but there's not necessarily anything in there that says this guy either wants to or can write a superhero, right? Because, you know, just because something's a comic book doesn't mean that you can just do any comic. And I, I think there was a big question, like, well, what kind of work does Brian like to do? You know, is he is he just kind of into his indie stories, into his character-driven kind of grounded fiction, or is he at all interested in superhero work? And when I came on to Michael Cray, and I think they saw the exuberance that I had kind of going in there, doing bigger action sequences and wrestling with these characters, that sort of put some kind of idea over there, like, well, maybe this guy can do something for us. Um, and uh, Scott's been super supportive, Scott Snyder, uh, of me, um, wow. in a sense, since I met him, you know, um, I, I was on a panel, on an image panel with him for my book Romulus, available in stores now, um, and... We also gotta was, tell him to pick up Golgotha, too, because I absolutely adore that book. That's right, book. Golgotha, that's out there, uh, for sure. And it was Scott, Marjorie Liu, um, I can't remember who else was on that panel, um, but Scott was like super nice and gracious, um, there and I'm sitting next to Scott. I'm like, I don't deserve to be sitting next to Scott Snyder, but here I am. Uh, and we started talking online a little bit, just like trading some tweets here and there. And I'd bump into him occasionally at a place. So, you know, I think he always kind of like, you know, knew that like, oh, this guy, if there's an opportunity that opens up, maybe this guy can do something. Been a big fan of James Tinian's work for a while. Obviously yep. Tom King, you know, I, I um, his car on show. Batman is amazing. Yeah, he's, a, he's just an amazing writer. He wrote Batman amazing... issues that, like, actually made me emotional when I was reading them. Tom's kind of an amazing guy. You know, like, that's he the thing it. with Tom. It's, it's, you know, in addition to being a fantastic writer, he's sort of a remarkable and fascinating human being. And um, big fan of his stuff, you know, Sheriff of Babylon. Sheriff uh, of Babylon was good. Uh, the, I mean, the, the miracle stuff that he's doing. Yeah, the vision stuff, Mr. Miracle. I mean, the guy's truly, truly gifted. So... You know, I think they knew I was a huge fan of, of, of that stuff. And uh, I talk about Batman online, you know, on occasion. Because right. uh, it's probably my favorite superhero, I would imagine. So, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes the, the, the planets line up for you, you know. And that's just how comics work. You happen to be available. Um, and I can't forget that, you know, working on Titans um, with Jeff Johns, you know, he's certainly a huge part of that show. A lot of it is really his vision you know, of that show. Right. Uh, and Jeff, Jeff is in the room with us. And so, you know, oh. I think, uh, being able to like, yeah, I mean, and that guy is like a genius at this. It's amazing. 
Like, he will walk up to a whiteboard that's totally blank, and in 15 minutes, you'll have three episodes broken. Just bam. Like, that's how you do that. That's how you do that. You move that over here. That's going to carry the T, dot the I, you know, two plus two equals four. There you go. Story. And you're like, uh-huh. whoa. And then you forget, because Jeff's such a young guy. You know, Jeff, Jeff is a very young, you know, kind of spry dude. Like, so you don't think about him and his thousands of comic book pages that he's written until like you get like the Jeff Johns flash omnibus and it's like four Bibles taped together, you know, (laughs) and you're like, and and you look at him and you're kind of like, when does this man get the time to do all of this work, you know? Uh, And so he's a wunderkind. I mean, I, I, it's like being (laughs) like, You know, it's, it's like being around Mozart when Mozart's composing something. You just kind of sit there and listen and learn as much as you can while it's happening. Um, because Mozart's moving at Mozart speed. But uh, I've had great conversations with Jeff, and he's been super supportive of me. Uh, That's really uh, Bringing awesome. me into that process and all that. And so, you know, um, and yeah, and, and, you know, like, like everything, you just have to continually prepare. Um, be ready for an opportunity when opportunity comes, and when you get an opportunity you want, just chase it. Chase it with gusto, and that's kind of what happened. So, so are you? I mean, are you taking it over for a certain period of time, or are you just doing um, an arc? Or well, well right now, I see things, all, you know, I see writers and artists get switched out so much now. All I'm is, certain of is I'm doing uh, I'm doing a five issue arc for Detective, starting with number nine eighty two. Yep. And I don't know exactly what's happening with Detective after that, but I can say that what I'm doing in my arc will greatly affect the DC universe going forward. And I might be involved in that effect if I'm going to be deliberately vague. Yeah, Um, deliberately vague. Deliberately vague. But yeah, no, I I know, yeah, I I know what you're saying. I got it. So... So, so yeah, so like, um, I, I think I, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't, don't quote me on it, but I think Tomasi's coming in after me, or at least that was something that I heard about and, and Peter is brilliant. So yeah. I have no problem with that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really just looking at this current arc and trying to make sure that I'm doing good work for the fans. Um, so those that have detective comics in their pull box will continue to keep detective comics in their pull box. What um, I like is the tweet you sent out the other day. And when I did say I was behind it 100%, um, you will see, if you can pull it off, the, the donate um, $5 to a children's charity. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to pick three, and I'm only going to expect one book. But oh, well, I, yeah. that is so cool, um, well, especially you know. with you saying, you know, if you're going to, you know, what, what you said earlier about trying to actually exemplify in your life the heroes that you're writing. Um, that's probably one of the cooler things I've seen go out on Twitter in a while. You know, here, donate to a kid's charity. Yeah, I mean, How what, awesome what, is that? But my wife and I are putting it together, and so what we're going to do is um, we're going to set up a portal, probably like a GoFundMe, and I think we're circling the Denver Children's Hospital as our primary give. Okay. Um because this is all the background. I mean, all of this happened organically on Twitter. So a reader tweeted me and said, hey, how can I get a signed copy of Detective Comics? And then I was thinking, well, what Bruce would do would start a charity initiative 
um, and do some good with that. So I was like, yeah, why don't we do that? Like, cause I, I, this isn't, this isn't a new idea, Jason. I, I, I've always wanted to do something like this, you know, um, because I think it's important that the characters positively affect people in the real world as well as, as be entertainment, you know? So, and I've kind of always wondered to myself, if I was Warner Brothers, every time I released a Batman film, I would have a million dollar Bruce Wayne scholarship for law and justice. And I would send some kids to law school or I would send some kids to, to undergrad, you know, pre-law. Right? right. And like make real change, like have a Clark Kent scholarship for journalism. And I would send some kids to school with that. You know, if you if you care about women's issues and have a Diana Prince scholarship, because a million dollars is such a small part of the two hundred and fifty million dollar spend. And you would get ten times that in marketing value because everybody would cover the human interest story. Right. I you mean, know? And you got to figure. I mean, look at the size and scope of these movies. That million dollars, you're going to make that back within 20 minutes of those tickets going on. Within 20 minutes, and you can change yeah. the lives of of high school. Not even kids. in the theater, you'll make right. that back in 20 minutes of pre-sale on Fandango. Right. So and, yeah, you know, it's a drop in the bucket on either side. And then you can and you can change the lives of some kids with it. Right. And you can. But the ripple can... effect of that drop in the bucket could be absolutely amazing. You know, and, and it's not right. that Warner Brothers is a bad place or anything. I just think that, like, they've never really considered that. They don't have an apparatus for it. And I'm not right. powerful enough to say, let me build that office, right? Well, one day I will be, but not like, not quite now. But I always and say And then I myself, will work for you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I pay well <laughs> and you get good benefits. There so, you go. I always said that if I was working on a character like that, I would try in a small way to give something back, you know, to try to um, do it. And then that reader you know, said, well, hey, would you consider the Denver Children's Hospital? Because my, my sister, I think it's, I think it's his sister's son, uh, went to that hospital, and that hospital took very good care of that kid. Right. And he's like, well, they, they need some help over there. And I was like, okay, cool. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up a GoFundMe. My wife is helping me because she's far more competent than I am about all this stuff. Um, like, I'm, you know... I'm, if I'm a Bruce Wayne, I'm Michael Keaton Bruce Wayne. I don't know where to put my soup when I'm finished with it. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like that's not, I'm not, I'm not the Christian Bale. No, uh, no. I'm like, I'm like Keaton. I like stick the pen in the cactus. I don't know what I'm here. Well, the pen goes there and the vicious the soup is cold. cold. I, it's cold. It's supposed to be cold. <laughs> oh, thanks, Alfred. Like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm definitely Michael Keaton Bruce Wayne. Maybe um, blindly eats it after that. I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, oh, it's supposed to be cold. Thanks. Um, so, uh, we're going to set up a portal so people can, uh, you know, just five bucks. If you, if you, you know, do you put five bucks in the GoFundMe, make sure I get a mailing address. I will make sure you get a, a signed copy of 982. And I'll also, uh, have like a signed thank you note that I'll send with it. Um, so people can get that. I've already contacted a shop called Quest. That's the name of the shop. It's called a shop called Quest. They're here in downtown Los Angeles. We're on beautiful. So freaking cool. Beautiful downtown Los Angeles, and um, I'm buying the issues from them to uh, to go ahead and facilitate it uh, for people, so I can support my local comic book store. Uh, and then, so we you know we're gonna have. I, I said like, well, you know, I'm gonna pick up hundred issues, first hundred people who you know put the five bucks into GoFundMe. They're all guaranteed an issue, and if I can move all one hundred issues. I'll match that with my own donation, so I will definitely get at least a wow. grand over to uh, Denver Children's. Um, 
and it's, you know, it's just a small thing. Um, you know, it's, it's not a lot, but I've gotten a lot of support from it. I'm going to have more details on my Twitter over the coming weeks, probably like, if not this week, definitely the week afterwards. So for people listening to me now, if you follow me at Brian Edward Hill, that's Brian with a Y, Brian Edward Hill on Twitter, you're going to get all the, um, get all the info there. I keep my DMs open as well. So if someone wants to DM me, you can go ahead and DM me. It's fine. Um, I, I respond to them. I tend to batch respond. So if you DM me on a Monday and you don't get a response till Sunday, it's because I usually do my responses on Sunday because I get a lot of DMs. I get a lot of questions about writing and about Los Angeles and screenwriting and filmmaking and all that. But I try to get to everybody on Sundays. And yeah, um, you know, we're going to go ahead and try to try to get this done. Because, uh, you know, look, if you're lucky enough to have an opportunity to do something like Batman, then, or like Detective Comics, I should say, because Tom's writing Batman. Don't kill me, Tom King. I'm only writing Detective Comics. Um, <laughs> it, just make that make that clear. But if you get an opportunity to do something like that, he's then I think it's trying a, to get Batman and Catwoman hitched right now. So, I mean, he's like, Tom's amazing. You know, he's a he's a gift. He's a gift to uh, to <laughs> comics, and I'm I'm just glad he's around. Uh, but yeah, so you know, that's the that's the thing. Because um, you know, anytime you you do anything with the character, you become a small part of that legacy, and it's important, I think, to honor that legacy with the kind of stuff that that character would support. And hopefully, you know, uh, if we're successful here, I can do more things like this in the future. I'd love to do more things like this in the future. And I, um, I'd honestly love, love to help. And I, I really and I, would. You know, I really depending would. on my schedule, well, thank you, and, and depending on my schedule, and I don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, but if I have the time, I will go down to the Denver Children's Hospital and take some pictures with the kids and, you know, bring down some comics and maybe some stuff. Maybe I can bother bother DC about giving me a little swag that I can bring down there and just see if you can spread a little joy of the bat around some kids as they get better. That's really cool. If I could do the same thing on my end at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, that, I'd, yeah, that yeah, would be I, really I, cool to, to, to get involved with. And for, and for everybody like listening to me right now, if there is a charity that matters to you, like Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, um, DM me, make me aware of it. You know, I, I, I'm not aware of all the different places that, you know, could use some attention, could use some help. I'm doing a lot of different things, yeah. not just detective. You know, I've got m- more books that are going to get announced that are coming out. I've got TV shows I'm working on, you know, and I'm always looking for places to root attention um, and benefit, you know, where it's deserved. So find me on Twitter. Tell me about something that matters to you um, so I'll know it and I can put it down in my, my book. Uh, and then we can see what we can do. I mean, how can you not get behind that to everybody listening? That is a beautiful thing to, to be able to do with with with, uh, with your extra five dollars at the end of the week. Honestly, it really is. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, had, I had some people that were like, why is, why is it five bucks? You should charge more than that. And my my principle is I want to make it easy for people to help. Right. So, right. You know, I want to basically just say, hey, if you spend about what you spend for the comic book, you'll get the comic book, but you'll get a signed copy and, you know, that, you know, you're going to do some good there. And so that's the point. That's why that's why I'm keeping the buy-in pretty low. You know, maybe in the future I'll have, like, another initiative with, like, different tiers and all that kind of stuff. But for this, I just want to, you know, really I just want... I, I want kids to know that the people who create the characters they love and the readers of those characters, they care about them. You know, I'm just thinking about some kid who, unfortunately, has come down with some illness, and they're trying to get stronger and get better. And the thing that helps more than anything else is knowing that people out there care about you. 
people out there you haven't met that you're not alone. You know, and you know, that, and you, you know, the effect of that has actually been proven. Totally. I mean, it's it's like it's science. Like it, it can help you know a kid's immune system you know come back to life. It can help kids recover. You know, it can help you know a, a whole lot of things. And it doesn't take very much. It just takes a little bit of effort and and a lot of love. And you can do you can do some good. And so everyone you know who's who participates know like when they get that book and they read that book, they can feel like okay, well, we did some good with this. Exactly. And, and that's why I jumped on it as soon as I saw it. And sincerely, I will be in for three of those $5 contributions. I only expect one book. Well, well that's, that's really great. I appreciate that, Jason. Yeah, you were certainly one of the first people that responded positively to it, you know, and I got a lot of positive responses um, to it. Good. And that, that makes me, and that's, the, and that's the, the positive part of social media, right? That's the good part. I, I spent that's a lot of time. We like, can hijack it for good. Right. I spent a lot of time <laughs> kicking social media into a volcano, but <laughs> but the the truth is you can do a lot of lot of positive too with it. You just have to just, you know it's like it's like a platform, and you have to determine what that platform accomplishes. And exactly, you can wrestle the controls away every once in a while. Yeah, and totally. Steer it back towards the sun and out of the ravine everybody else seems to want to put it in. I hope that we can. That 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 is what allows me to sleep at night. I I think we can. You know, I think I think, you know, earlier in the episode we covered a lot and but I I don't think anything is unsalvageable. I no, I, no, I, I no, truly no. don't. I you know, I mean the country looks like it's on the brink of some sort of social civil war and there's extremist groups on both sides that seem to be physically pushing for that. Um, you know, confronting each other every time somebody wants to talk at a college and just prove that both sides have their fair share of assholes. Um, but I think by and large, the majority of this country, we are most definitely a salvageable people. <laughs> well, it's yeah, not I too mean, far gone. And it's actually, I think it's way less far down the road than what is being sold. I, I do too. And we have to keep, it, really you know, we, we have to keep our perspective. There are right now, there are places in the world that are pure chaos, you know, and, and we're not. Um, we have the luxury near. of complaining about college, right? And <laughs> right. that's important to remember. Our that, newspapers are able to complain that Chick-fil-A showed up in New York City as a restaurant you can eat at this week. Yeah, that, if, that's if, how if you, upside down our country is in peril. If, if you have the ability to complain about that and it's legitimately the thing that's bothering you the most, you then better than you got it pretty good. I mean, there are children born in North Korea every day, you know? Um, there's, <laughs> yeah, there, there is a mother in North Korea literally boiling tree bark to keep her malnourished family alive. And, and, and You're that's complaining about waffle fries by a Christian company showing up in your giant city. And that's honestly going to be one of the things that I, that I tackle in my detective comic story is, you know, um, you know, just the perspective about what's happening around the world. And how these characters can not only, you know, kind of turn the tide in Gotham, but how Bruce can help characters turn the tide around the world, you know, and keeping keeping that in mind as well. So That's it's awesome. it's yeah, it's it's important to just keep all of it in context and not let it run away with you. Look, um, I just want to get to the point one day where I can write my biopic on Alfred Pennyworth one day. Oh, you know, here's the funniest thing. So you asked me about pitching earlier. I haven't pitched many things uh, to DC, 
But one of the things I did pitch years ago was like a 60s-era Michael Caine action film starring Alfred that was called Get Alfred. And it was nice. all... It was all about like a mod '60s version of Alfred Pennyworth in like this weird Guy Ritchie movie that took place in like '66 or something. Because <laughs> he wants to be a rock and roller, right? Like, and it's really like, well, since Michael Caine was Alfred in the movies, wouldn't it be cool if you know there was like some version of Alfred in a gray suit with a black skinny tie and a sawed-off shotgun? I want to read that. I want to see what went on with that. Um, see, like, so, like, saying, like that. That, that's for me. Like, Alfred is probably, to me, he is the most fascinating character in the entire Batman universe to me in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I mean, ba- a good Joker, a well-written Joker, is absolutely enthralling and fascinating to read. Batman is always fascinating to listen to his inner monologue page to page and watch him be better than the people with powers around him at all times. But when you get down, to, when you isolate out the rest of the DC universe and you just look at the actual Batman universe itself, Alfred to me is probably one of the most fascinating characters. Because if you look at his real backstory, right? So right, he was special forces. So here's this badass soldier whose father buttles for this rich family in America, and the father, you know, needs him to come help, so he does, and then he ends up fully taking over the responsibilities. And you know, there's this snot-nosed kid and his parents and this tragedy happens and for some god-awful reason i am now saddled with this kid that i've never really wanted right and i grow to love him like a son even though i'll never take the place of the parents he lost i will be the closest thing to family he ever has and i will probably love him as intensely as thomas would have loved bruce given the chance to watch him grow up that would be a really excellent novel but now I enable my son, who I love with all my heart, to basically throw himself off a cliff every night. And the anxiety and the worry that comes with it. And I'm sure the interior condemnation that Bruce Wayne became Batman. I guarantee you there is this huge inner struggle between the sense of pride of what Bruce did with his tragedy and the heartbreak of what Bruce did with his tragedy. Totally. And, you know, like yeah. watching watching these boys come in the house and it'd be the closest thing that, that Bruce, until they did the whole Damien thing. But, you know, like watching these boys and Bruce attempt to give them a normal life. But his trauma is so deep that he takes boys that are as broken as he is and trains them to be the closest thing to him that they can be. And then watching them go through, you know, like... His, there's a, and maybe it's just the, the Bat family dynamic, but it's mostly, it's it's the Alfred ethos, I guess, that I, I've just always been kind of drawn to and just absolutely fascinates me. How well, you that, can that's, go from being that, a badass like soldier. Question, yeah. that, that I'm dealing with in Detective Comics is, can Bruce share his legacy? Is that actually possible? Like, truly share it. Like, truly share it, right. you know? Like, and... And if he can do that, morally, is that permissible? You know, and, and kind of raising that core question is uh, is also part of the story I'm telling. Um, but yeah, that sounds like, I mean, look, that take on Alfred is great. Like, you know, Alfred needs a novel or like a graphic novel or something. Like, he, you know, there's a lot there to that character to explore. Um, 
uh, that I, you know, I think readers would be uh, really into. Uh, right, and, and I wasn't even pitching it. I was just, it's always been, it's just been something that, 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 that's always been there, you know, once I could understand mature relationships. You know, as a kid, it was just like, oh, that's the butler. But being, I, I mean, being, being a dad and being a stepdad, um, right. learning to love somebody that you have zero obligation to, but loving them just as fiercely as your own. Totally. Um, D- DNA and, you know, like I, it, it completely changed the aspect of those kind of relationships to me um, when it became something personal that I was practicing in my own life. And the, the the biggest example of that that I know is the Alfred character. So, I mean, over the past couple of years, it's, it's really developed this fascination with with the Alfred Pennyworth character. And I think some writers have made him really awesome. Some writers put him in the support butler role um, only, but when somebody really takes the time to focus on Alfred, I, it really just solidifies how I feel about that particular character, um, how fascinating his inner workings must be watching the Batman story unfold in front of him and knowing that he encouraged it and... If you look at a lot of his dialogue, even in different versions, it all it's almost like it's a regret. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it's almost like his biggest regret will be the Batman part of Bruce Wayne, but he loves him well, too much yeah. to to not be there one hundred percent as he would in any other profession that Bruce could have chosen that a normal person would have chosen. You know, so I it's th- like yeah, this weird Nolan... dichotomy for his entire life, this, this conundrum that's unsolvable because nobody's going to stop Bruce until Bruce says enough, and he's never going to say enough. Yeah, Nolan wrestled with that a little bit in Dark Knight Rises, but just barely. Um, right. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of depth there, I think, to explore. Um, well, I hate to disappoint your listeners, Jason, but I have to go. No, man, I, I mean, have to, yeah, I didn't even realize we'd gone over an hour, so, I mean... i got to make the donuts, um, but... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it's it's really great talking to you. I love it every time. Um, for everyone listening, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Edward Hill. Again, that's at Brian Edward Hill. B R Y A N E D W A R D H I L L. That's my name. Just follow me there. And um, yeah, that's probably the best way to to kind of track what I'm up to and throw me some questions if you like. I love questions. And the uh, charity initiative, the the hashtag Be Like Batman campaign that I'm starting around this issue, there will be more information on that on the interwebs in the near future. Yes, and that's definitely something people need to pay attention to because it's a really awesome thing to get behind. Right on. So um, thank you so much for your time today, dude. I really appreciate it. We need to be able to catch up more, but I really appreciate you giving me this much time today oh for sure like when after titans comes out and it's been running for a little bit and i can actually you know hop on the line and talk about it let's revisit most definitely man all righty i'll talk to you soon cheers all right dude bye later